Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been presenting a series of programs on the Book of Romans, going through the Book of Romans verse by verse, and today's program is going to be the end of this study. I'm going to finally bring this study to a close. I'll be talking about Romans chapter 15 and Romans chapter 16, but really just from a summary point of view, I'm not going to be trying to go through the individual verses because he brings his letter to a close in these two chapters, and so I'm going to go ahead and bring this study to a close as well. The first thing that I'd like to talk about, of course, is at the end of Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul talks about the journeys that he went on, the missionary journeys. He spoke about his journeys in the context of going out into the whole world, the whole world that was relevant to his time. He went around to various places. He made several trips to these places. And he went there for the purpose of sharing the gospel with other people. Now, for the most part, he went to places where the gospel had not yet been presented. And that, of course, is a good thing because there are more opportunities to tell people about the gospel. If somebody has not heard it, then they get to hear it. If somebody's already heard it, well, then you may not be using your time very well. Now, by saying that, there could be some issues. For example, some people may have heard of the gospel, but the gospel that they heard of is not entirely correct. There were many beliefs concerning the gospel back then, and even today there are many different beliefs concerning what the gospel is today. All you have to do is just go around and find someone who claims to be a Christian and ask them, well, what would you say the gospel is? And you will find that people have many different ideas concerning what the gospel is. And so when he talks about building on somebody else's foundation, as is found in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, it says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He's not saying that under no circumstances would he go and speak with other believers. That certainly would not be the case especially when you consider that he's writing this letter to these believers who he has never met before, and he says that he's going to try and visit them sometime soon. He also says that he's going to go down into Jerusalem soon. Well, just about everybody in Jerusalem had heard about Jesus already, and so he's not saying that under no circumstances, he's just saying that if he's going to make good use of his time, he's not going to go talk with people who already know about the gospel unless he's just stopping by to visit, things like that. But there are many people, especially today, there are many people, just as there was back then, there are many people who do not have a very good understanding of the gospel and do not really understand the new covenant. They don't understand the implications of forgiveness, the implications of what Jesus did for us. And so I personally believe it's very worthwhile to spend time going and speaking with these people, and I don't think that it fits into the category of building on somebody else's foundation at all, because in my opinion, the foundation is pretty worthless. Perhaps it needs to be ripped up. I mean, if a person does not understand the gospel, then what do they understand? I mean, that really is the foundation for everything in the faith. 
So Paul went to various places. He spoke with a lot of people. But when you look into chapter 16, one of the things that I, I can't help but notice is the fact that he names names. He refers to people individually. And you know, when you consider this and you also consider the book of Acts and you consider the number of people who he met with, I think you can appreciate the fact that he put out a great amount of effort, but very few people responded to the message that he gave. It wasn't as if he went out and thousands of people responded to what he was saying, and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people got saved, and their lives were changed. It wasn't like that. It was just a handful of people here and there. You know, sometimes it's very easy to be discouraged when we compare ourselves with other people today, for example, other people who might be on radio like I am right now, or who might have a large congregation, a large church, and they have lots of people listening to them once a week, live, or people who are on television, or people who write books and sell millions of copies, it seems. When we compare ourselves with other people like that, sometimes we might hesitate to use the time that we have at our disposal to go and speak with people about Jesus to go and speak with people about the things that he has revealed to us and how he has changed our life, how he has totally transformed who we are and what that means to us and what it can mean to them. We hesitate to do that because we think, ah, it's just one person or it's just two people or a handful of people. But I want you to seriously consider what Paul says here in Romans chapter 15 and 16 in the context of just a few people. In considering the relationships that you have today, either with family or friends or people who you work with, when you consider the amount of people that you have access to, exposure to, and through other means of communication, when you consider the Internet and when you consider phones and things like that, you have access to many people. And if you were to take some of your time and use it productively, concerning the gospel, to tell other people about the things that he has revealed to you, that your God has revealed to you, then you would have a testimony that would look something like this. You would, in terms of the number of people, and of course in terms of the struggles that the people have. If you've understood the gospel for a while now, and and you've understood the implications of forgiveness and the freedom from law and grace, and you've been talking with people, then you know what I mean when I say that there are people who are immature in their faith and there are people who are mature in their faith. And you may share something with someone and they might embrace that little thing that you shared and it can have a big impact in their life or a small impact per se. And you can see them experience some personal growth, but you know as well what it means to share the same thing with many others and they totally reject it and they don't respond to it at all. And in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul speaks about this and says, listen, there are some people who are not strong in their faith, who are immature in their faith, who are weak. And you need to allow for that. You need to consider that. Do not let that disappoint you. Do not let that depress you. Do not let that stop you from engaging with them in whatever way you can. Be at peace with them and enjoy what you do share in common. And use those opportunities that you will have to share something else with them that perhaps they might embrace or might consider. And if they don't, then consider that to be a learning experience for you that you perhaps 
need to think of an alternative way to communicate what you want to communicate so that they will hear what you have to say, so that they will receive what you have to say. If it is the truth, then it should stand on its own. But in addition to that, there's nothing wrong with finding different ways of sharing it with other people. And so I can't help but notice that when he names names and when you consider how many people he really did interact with when he was traveling, when he would go to a synagogue, when he would go to somebody's house. And again, in the book of Acts, we have the testimony of a dozen people coming to know the Lord, two dozen people or so approximately coming to know the Lord, people responding to his message and searching the scriptures to see if what he had to say was true. Now, from a religious point of view, from a Jewish point of view at that time, the subject of obedience was a big subject, and that word had significant meaning to it. When somebody used that word, it meant something, to be obedient. For a Pharisee, Paul was a Pharisee, for a Pharisee, that word was a very serious word to use. And when I was in rabbinical Judaism, and when I was devoted to the law in the best way that I could possibly be, which of course was not nearly adequate, I used that word, obedience, very carefully. And today, I use that word carefully. But you know, back then, as well as today, that word has to be defined. It had to be defined back then, and it has to be defined now. Because from a religious perspective, that word means that you know the law of God and you will do all that God requires according to what he has defined in his law. That is what it means from a religious point of view. But from a new covenant point of view, not from an old covenant point of view, but from a new covenant point of view, obedience does not have to do with what you do or what you don't do. It has to do with what you believe or what you don't believe. The obedience is of faith. The obedience has to do with hearing the truth, knowing the truth, understanding the truth, and living your life in response to that truth, making your decisions according to what he has revealed. Your actions are a clear reflection of what he has revealed to you. Obedience has to do with believing. If he tells you that he loves you, then you believe that. And there should be nothing in your life that indicates that you are trying to do something to get God to like you or love you or accept you. There should be no indication of that at all. You should be at rest. You should be at peace with the knowledge and the understanding that he does love you. And rest. Be at rest at that point. That is the obedience that Paul was talking about when he spoke of obedience in Romans chapter 15 and chapter 16. For example, in Romans chapter 15, verse 18, he says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Is he saying by word in the sense that their speech was correct and deed in the sense that they did good works? Of course not. No, he's saying that they are obedient in the context of they believed the word that was shared with them and their lives, their deeds were a reflection of their belief. Not because the law said do or don't do, but because the Lord has revealed something to you about what he has given to you. 
He has revealed something to you about what He has done for you. And so in light of that, your deeds should be a reflection of that. In chapter 16, verse 26, he says, But now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. That's what he ends his letter with, is the idea that we are to be obedient to faith, not obedient to law. That was the real struggle that the church was having. That was the struggle. If you consider Acts chapter 15, for example, it gives you a very good example of this struggle between the church in Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and others who were studying under Paul. It's very important to see this because if you don't see this, it can be easy to assume that he's talking about obedience to law, but he's not. He's talking about obedience to the love of God, to the acceptance of God, which means that you live a life of rest and peace, not a life of activity, hoping to obtain his love and acceptance. But because he loves you, you are free. You are free to love others with the love that he has given to you. And through that, of course, there's going to be deeds. But the origin of that, the dynamic behind those demands, has nothing to do with the law. It has to do with the Spirit of God leading an individual personally. If you were to compare the people back then, just as you could compare the people today, you know, back then, the Pharisees, the Jews, they lived a life of devotion to the law. I mean, these people were sincere, they were dedicated, they were devoted. And there are many religious people today who are dedicated, who are devoted. Not nearly as much as the Jews who were devoted to that back then. And of course, there are many Jews today who are even more devoted, more committed, more obedient to the law of God than many Christians who claim that they are obedient to the law of God. You know, I always get a kick out of that whenever I hear people tell me that they are obedient to God. I always get a kick out of that because I know what it's like to be around people who are really committed to being obedient to God. And the people who I see outside of the synagogues that I was a part of before, those people who claim that they are just simply are not impressive to me. I mean, I know a lot of people who do not believe in Jesus, and they are impressive. I will give them that. They are impressive concerning their devotion and their determination and their commitment to never sin and to always do that which is good. I really do recognize that there are people who are impressive concerning their efforts. They still need to be saved. But I know lots of people who are saved and they claim that they are impressive and they don't impress me. I mean, they can easily impress others because there are many people who don't know people like I've just described. And so I understand that. But, you know, when it comes to this religious life of commitment and devotion, the word that Paul used to describe these people is disobedient. He uses the word disobedient which was not an empty word. It was a meaningful word. In Romans chapter 15, verse 31, he says that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. 
And, of course, we know what happened to him when he did go to Jerusalem. We can read about that in the book of Acts. And we know about the church and their response to that. And what was that response? They were gone. We don't have any evidence of them intervening in any way possible. We don't have any evidence that they spoke on behalf of the Apostle Paul. Instead, what we have is evidence that shows that they were probably thankful that the religious leaders started the problems that Paul had to deal with, that Paul was arrested and he was eventually taken to Rome and there he was murdered. They were probably excited about that, at least to a certain extent, in a certain way, because to them he was a troublemaker. But he went to go and speak with the disobedient people in Jerusalem. Why were they disobedient? They were disobedient, first of all, because they rejected the Messiah. And second of all, those who accepted the Messiah were still disobedient because they were still living their lives as if there was no Messiah. But there is a Messiah, and he is just as much alive today as he was back then. And he is just as active in people's lives today as he was back then. And the same message that was communicated back then needs to be communicated today. You know, what Paul did in terms of his missionary journeys and the number of people who he reached out to, what he did has echoed throughout time to this day. This letter that he wrote to the Romans, do you suppose that when he was writing this letter, He thought that it would be read 2,000 years later, studied 2,000 years later. For thousands of years, this letter has been studied. This letter has been taught on. People have read this. People continue to read this. And people will continue to read this. Study it and appreciate it. Do you suppose that he had any idea that this would be the case? I doubt it. It's my opinion that if he knew that we would be looking at this today, that he probably would have written it a little differently. You know, especially considering chapter 16. I mean, he probably wouldn't name names like this because he would recognize that a few thousand years go by and who's going to know these people? I mean, what is this going to mean to us today? He wrote a personal letter. And this letter has truths within it that have changed people's lives ever since he wrote it, even to this day. And there are many people today who know, they know that there is something in this letter, but they don't know what it is. They know that there is something here that will provide them with everything that they are looking for, but they don't know where it is. And that's one of the reasons why people study it so much is because they know something is there, but they can't quite find it yet. They, they know it's there. There are things that they just can't explain, and they hope that one day they will understand. I have confidence in saying that I understand just about everything that he wrote, and I really enjoy reading it and studying it over and over again. To me, it never gets old. But there are many people who have, who are, and who will continue to study this, and they have no idea what's really in here. They just know that something is here. Something is here. You might be in that condition. And if you are, then I'm going to encourage you to keep at it, to keep studying this, to keep pursuing this. 
But I can tell you, I can tell you with confidence what opens the door. I can give you the key that opens the lock so that this door can be opened. The key is forgiveness. Forgiveness for all sin. When you finally recognize that you have been set free from sin and that the sin issue between you and your God has come to an end, it is then that you can fully appreciate what he wrote in chapter 5 when he talked about the restoration of the Holy Spirit and the fact that salvation is about the restoration of the Holy Spirit and that forgiveness is what makes salvation possible, but it certainly is not salvation. But once you get past that, once you understand that, then you will be able to understand being set free from the law. Then you will truly be able to embrace that. When you recognize that you have been set free from the law so that you can walk in a new way of life, then you will find that many of the passages that he wrote in this book will have new meaning to you. They will have a different meaning to you. Because most of what he wrote about was related to the struggle that people were having, trying to mature in their faith, trying to grow in their faith, trying to know their God. And this was the obstacle back then. It is the obstacle today. It is the obstacle today, and it will be the obstacle in the future. It is a serious obstacle, and until you are willing to let go of the law, you will not grow, you will not mature you will still be stumbling over that stumbling stone just as the Jews were, as he described in his letter here. And so I really want to encourage you concerning this. I want to encourage you to keep at it, to keep studying, to keep pursuing, because you're right. There is something here. There is a lot here. Now, the work that I have done on this book is available for free on the Internet through my radio archive that you can access through livinggodministries.net. All of the programs that I have produced for this verse-by-verse study through the Book of Romans are available there for free to download. You can listen to them all you want. And I really want to encourage you to do that and to tell others about these programs being available for free. If you'd like to burn audio CDs, just send me an email. Contact me and I will send you the full quality MP3 audio files, the same files that I upload to the radio stations. You can burn really good CDs with these files. Please do contact me concerning the full quality audio files. I would really appreciate the privilege of being able to send these out to you. In addition to that, I've done other verse-by-verse studies. I've done a verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews and through the book of Acts. Take a look at my radio archive. There is a lot of content there, a lot of material there. Listen to the programs on forgiveness. They will answer just about every question that you can ask concerning the subject of forgiveness. Listen to the programs that I produced on spiritual warfare. Those programs are a study on law and grace because that is the nature of the war. It is a battle between law and grace and the battleground is your mind. This battle was initiated in the Garden of Eden when the devil said, if you only know what is good and evil, you can be like God. And that question was eventually answered and finalized when Jesus said, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to do it. So you have a need for the mercy of God. That was his ministry. Now we have his mercy. Now we have forgiveness 
and everything we need for life and godliness He has given to us graciously. Now that we have all that we need, let us live according to the gospel, according to the inheritance, according to the new covenant. And you will find peace. The gospel of the Lord Jesus has been described as a mystery, because to many people it is a mystery. But this is a mystery that will be revealed to those who want to know the mystery. For those who do not want to know, the Lord is not going to reveal to them the mystery. He will reveal to them enough so that they will be confronted with the reality of who He is. But for those who want to know Him, they must recognize that there is something that they do not know. And that is the mystery that He has now revealed, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of salvation, which is Christ in you, your only hope of glory. This is the mystery that the Apostle Paul has revealed through this letter, the letter that he wrote to the Romans. But it will only be revealed to those who really want to know the mystery of God in accordance with the mercy of God on the basis of the new covenant. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures and the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Not obedience of law, but obedience of faith, which is obey by responding to the truth that he has revealed to you. Do not waste his efforts in your life. Respond, believe, trust, be at peace, and know your God. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may